Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. Well, good morning, Contrast Church. Uh, Good good morning. Uh, My name is Paul. And uh, I am the last of Trey's brother-in-laws to preach. Um, but, uh, no, I'm really excited um, to talk today. And um, if we haven't met before, uh, my wife and I have been in Columbus for, for just about four years now. And um, part of the Contrast launch team that uh, started um, over the pandemic. And Trey was bold enough. Um, Trey and Sarah were bold enough to start a church during the pandemic, in which that's not really something you're taught in school, how to deal with that. And um, it's pretty amazing just to see that so many people that were part of that launch group are still here. And I think that's a testament to uh, not only Trey's leadership, but really what, what God's doing in, 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 at Contrast Church in, in Grandview. So um, I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Um, and I, I work in marketing. So we're going to get a lot of business and sports today. I know with Trey, you're used to like SpongeBob in the office. So we're, we're going to switch it up just a little bit. Um, and, and today we're talking about a few things, um, expectations, uh, trust, and, and, and uncertainty. And um, like I said, we, we moved here. So I'm originally from Seattle and uh, I grew up in Seattle in the 90s. And growing up in Seattle in the 90s, there was nobody cooler than Ken Griffey Jr., uh, does anybody know who he is? I feel like I'm aging myself a little bit. Okay, cool, four people, sweet. Uh, so anyway, Ken Griffey Jr. was a baseball player, and he was sort of a prodigious athlete. Um, he was the son of Ken Griffey Sr., who actually played for the Cincinnati Reds. And um, he came into the league at like 19 years old, super young, and he was like charismatic. He had this like smile, the swing, he had this cool backwards hat. He was like the coolest guy in the world. And I I sort of have a pretty special connection with him actually uh, because, uh, and, and you'll see it on the screen, is that at six months old, there's a photo of Ken Griffey Jr. holding me. And yes, that is a photo of a photo. My dad was out of town. He couldn't send it. Anyway, so, um, so you may say, how is this possible? How did this happen? So this is in the year 1992. King Griffey Jr. had literally been in the league. This is his second year. Again, he came in the league at 19, 20, 21. And, and, and so how this happened was my mom is a very audacious person. And she somehow like wormed her way through the crowds and handed her baby, her six-month-old baby, to a like 22-year-old man baseball player, right? So I, I, I doubt he was really expecting this, and, and, and Allison and I, we have a nine-month-old, and I've seen how 20-something men hold babies, and they're like, like they don't know what to do with their hands and, and how to hold a baby in their necks and all that sort of stuff. And so, um, but she somehow did it. And so th- this was obviously really cool and sort of started with my obsession over Ken Griffey Jr. And you may think obsession might be too strong of a word, but it's not. So here is, um, he- here is a, uh, my uh, biography, my autobiography I wrote in first grade. And you can see that um, I say I love my mom and dad, but I say I love Ken Griffey Jr. three times. <laughs> um, and I'm wearing a Mariner shirt, of course. And so um, around this time, I was maybe seven, eight years old, we got the opportunity to go to spring training in Peoria, Arizona, where the Mariners play. And again, my mom just wanting to, to really do something cool for her kid, we you know, still somehow you know, get to the front of the line, and she has this picture. And my mom 
we'll get that picture signed, right? She's like, that is her intent. And so um, I, I don't remember exactly if he was just walking on by or if he signed a few things and then bounced. But my mom, sort of in a last-ditch effort, she goes, um, hey, you know, it's the least you could do to sign this. You make $6 million a year. And he turns around and he says, no, I make eight. <laughs> and then walks away. And so the expectation that my mom and I both had was very different than what we actually got, especially considering how cool it was the first time in which, uh, you know, this was before he was at the, at the height of his career. And here's me at that spring training. You can tell I'm very confused. I'm wearing my Kobe Bryant jersey. Um, <clears throat> but I just, I just love sports. And so anyway, the, the expectation there was that Ken Griffey Jr. would be something and he sort of failed at least my expectation and my mom's expectation. And I guess where, where we're going with this, I'll, I'll sort of close the, the loop, is that coming full circle that um, where we're reading now is that the Jewish people who have been following Jesus are pretty big fans, you could say, of Jesus, right? Jesus has done some pretty cool things that we've explored in, in the last month or so, starting with Jesus fed the 5,000, and it was more like 20,000 that we know, which is kind of a big deal. Jesus walks on water, and even Peter walks on water with him. And now he's at the point where he said that he is the bread of life, in which they are not that happy with that. And their sort of whole like mind is like blown, and their expectation of who this guy was, right, the guy who was doing all these miraculous things, was now sort of telling them this, this thing that they think is honestly pretty confusing. Um, and I would say from first glance, it, uh, you know, I would read it that way as well. So um, I'm going to, and you can be, open back up your Bibles if you, if you have it handy. We're going to read just sort of the first, we're going to sort of do it section by section. So um, starting with John 6.60, then many of his disciples, when they heard these things, said, this is a difficult saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining about this, he said to them, does this cause you to be offended? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascending where he was before? The Spirit is the one who gives life. Human nature is of no help. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had already known from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. So Jesus added, Because of this I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has allowed him to come. After this, many of the disciples quit following him and did not accompany him any longer. So this is kind of a um, kind of piggybacking on, on Trey's message last week in which Jesus said that he is the bread of life and many were confused as to what that meant. So this is kind of like a part two to that and we're sort of picking up at the point of their response. And so um, as we see, they say, this is a, a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Who can understand it? Who can follow it? And there's, you know, if we sort of step in their shoes, there's probably a few reasons why they're saying this. First is sort of an under, a shallow understanding of Jesus' teaching, right? Jesus is saying he's the bread of life. Some are, think Jesus is, a, is into cannibalism, um, which he, he's, he's clearly not, but from first glance, that's like kind of what they hear. And uh, the Jewish people have a very strict sort of um, idea of how to even meet, eat meat, let alone a human being. So this is not really comprehending to them. And they're just saying like, oh, we don't really understand this. Second is Jesus' background. 
Um, as Trace sort of mentioned last week, Jesus is not like the star quarterback or the, the jock of the high school. Is that uh, he, He's a guy from Nazareth, and they said, what good can come from Nazareth, right? So Jesus is kind of from a, sort of a, a, an out-of-town out area, and just you, you don't really imagine that the Savior would be from sort of this crummy town, right? Um, and so sort of based on that and who Jesus is, who's sort of an average guy, he's just the son of Mary, they know Jesus to be an average guy, not the Messiah, not the Savior, right? So now they're, they're, they're confused about that now. And then Jesus as, as a person is not who they want him to be. And this is sort of where their expectation is, is very different in the sense that they want Jesus to do all these miraculous things, right, to feed people, to walk on water, all these sorts of things, and they're much more interested in, in how he can overtake the government or make their life better or be a political or military leader. And as we go on, we see Jesus is really none of those things, right? And so what they want Jesus to be, what they think he is versus what they is, is very different. So they're having a very, very hard time reconciling that. And that's why they say, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And we know that, that many of them end up leaving, right? But I think when I read this, especially at first glance, I'm not thinking of myself as a, as a sort of Jewish person a long time ago. I'm thinking of myself in 2024, someone who lives in Columbus, Ohio. And I think this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Um, I don't know about you, but I, I, I think we probably ask this question a lot. I would hope so, at least, anyway. I don't think anyone's read the, the Bible from cover to cover and being like, oh, I got it. Makes complete sense. No questions here, you know. The Bible says some things, and Jesus is sort of even acknowledging that some of the things are pretty hard, and to follow Jesus, and even to understand the Bible, like, it's a, it's a radical way of thinking. It's not just something you ingest and, 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 and oh, okay, cool, no questions, right? Um, that, that's not really what that is, and, and, and there's many teachings that are hard teachings. And so I thought we'd reference some of them on the screen um, that at least for me, I say, oh, that's pretty hard teaching. I'm not sure I either, one, fully understand that. Two, I'm not sure if I can actually follow that. Like, how am I supposed to do that? So um, the first is um, anyone, uh, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be uh, subject to judgment. So I'm sure none of you have ever been mad at your brother, and uh, actually your brother's actually basically everyone. So that's pretty tough to follow, right? Um, he who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. I'm sure none of us are guilty of that. Um, forgive your neighbor 70 times 7. This one is wild, right? Like, we would call this bad boundaries today, right? If you let the same person do the same thing over and over, at, the, at some point it's your fault. And yet Jesus is telling, hey, you're supposed to forgive these people. Um, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Well, Jesus, I work in marketing, so I'm not sure what that means, right? Do I lead my marketing meetings with a prayer? Um, do I preach at my marketing? What does that look like for me in my daily life, right? Um, I think that's a difficult one. And then judge not that you not be judged. Uh, I watched The Bachelor on Monday nights, and I can tell you there's heavy judgment involved. <laughs> in the reality TV characters, and I, and, and I will be judged for that as well. Um, but So I, I think r really what we're getting at is there are plenty of hard teachings in the Bible, and the followers who, who, who say this and end up leaving Jesus are probably not too different from us in that we're saying that all the time. 
And I think there's kind of either really two things in, in your Christian walk that happen is sometimes you read something that you can't fully comprehend or even follow and you pray about it and you think about it and you, and you, and you talk to other people about it. And sometimes Jesus reveals the truth to you and you think, wow, I totally understand this, right? It just clicks. And it could be days later, months later, years later, right? Um, you read the Bible again, you're like, oh, actually, this makes total sense now because I'm further along in my walk. Or it may be that something we read, we just never end up understanding. And I think that's, uh, I, I, and I kind of want to think about that because we're sort of in, in a, that's, that's the tension of not knowing, of saying, I don't know. And I think that's weird for us. That's weird for me that we would say, I don't know, we're in like a, a knowledge economy, right, where knowledge is power. And if you're at dinner with your friends and you're like, who, who, who was in that movie? Well, okay, let's, let's go and look it up. Like we have to know things. It's like in our culture, it's in our wiring that we want to know things. And I think that's good. I think it's, and, and we see that the, the people who, who flee Jesus, they don't ask any follow-up questions. They're not like, hey, I, you know, what, are you, can you just elaborate like a little bit more? Is they kind of hear it's a hard teaching and they leave and they're not okay sitting in that sort of tension of, I don't know what this means. And I, I um, so, sort of experienced this pre- pretty deeply. Like I said, uh, I, I love business. So about 10 years ago, I started an app and I was pitching to investors all the time. And probably in one of my first pitches, it was sort of like a Shark Tank style thing. And I was the last to go. And obviously, I was like very nervous pitching to all these like rich people. And so um, I go in there. I give my pitch. I think I did a pretty good job. And, you know, you can plan your pitch, but you can't necessarily plan or account for all the questions, right? Like, if you've seen Shark Tank, you see people have a good pitch, and then, like, Mr. Wonderful asks, like, one question, and they're just, like, dumbfounded, right? And so that was me. I was asked a question I did not know how to answer, and I said, like, kind of naively, I don't know. And I thought this would be a very bad thing, and it was somewhat embarrassing that I would not know something about my business. That was kind of my baby at the time. And the investor said something that, I mean, has still stuck with me today. Uh, He said, that's the first honest answer we've got all day. And I thought, wow, I'm so brilliant. (laughs) And um, turns out I wasn't brilliant enough to get a check. But um, I... From that, I actually, the investor pulled me aside afterwards and talked, and, and through that, we actually had a, had a relationship, and he introduced me to other investors, and, and my guess would be it was because I was actually open or okay with, with living in this I don't know, which anybody who started a business knows that. It's basically 99% of I don't knows, and you're figuring stuff out as you go, and maybe you don't say that so openly as, as, as I did, but that's kind of what it is, and I, I don't think... Um, for the Bible, we read every single thing and we say, I don't know what this means, but we do probably think, hey, I'm not sure how this applies to me or I'm not sure how I can live up to this expectation that Jesus has, has, has sent for me. And um, what we see sort of with the, the followers who have left Jesus, who have a superficial understanding of Jesus, is that they have thought they're more interested in what Jesus can do for them instead of who he can be to them. And I think even with people who are pitching in that room, they wanted the investors to write a check. They were interested in a singular outcome, similar to maybe how these Jewish people wanted Jesus to be who they wanted him to be, a military leader, a political leader, lead, lead, lead a revolution, right? Get people to fight and take arms and all that sort of stuff. And Jesus is clearly not that. And we see that it's not only 
the, uh, you know, the, the sort of the fringe followers of Jesus who, who leave and, and sort of abandon and say, you know, this isn't for me. But we see even, and I'm going to patch together a, a few verses from the Gospels, but um, in Luke 9, Jesus is telling the 12, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and experts in the law. And I think this is such a, like, a great scene because Peter, actually, he pulls Jesus aside. And he's like, uh, you don't really mean that, right? Like, that's not, that's not what we want. That's not what we stand for. We're trying to, uh, you know, be popular and, and, and you know, uh, get VIP and, and be on, you know, trending on Twitter. Like, come on, I'm, I'm, I'm your PR guy. Jesus, we can't do this. And Jesus' response is, is um, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me because you are not setting your mind on God's interests but on man's. And this is Peter who is following Jesus day in and, and day out, right? And that even he has a superficial understanding of who Jesus is, what he has come to do. And just like many of us as, as we you know, continue in our faith, is we still sometimes have this perception of Jesus that fits into our box, into who we want Jesus to be. And we see that oftentimes Jesus is breaking that box open and, and, and at times exposing the reality of where, really where our hearts are. And so at this point, we know that Jesus is saying, um, to follow me, you're going to get rejected and you're going to suffer. And so by saying these things and really embodying this, even when he says, you know, I am the bread of life, people are, are leaving, right? People are no longer following him. And, and, and we see that Jesus is, I don't want to say okay with that, but Jesus understands that there's power actually in the 12, right? People who truly believe in him, people who truly want to carry out his mission, then everybody on the world, in the world everybody on the internet, people who say, oh, I like what this guy can do for me, right? And so, I, and I think that's even sort of what we try to model here at Contrast with, with core groups, is that, you know, we're not yelling into a megaphone outside on the street or, you know, a, a mega church, is that we're really focused on creating disciples through uh, disciple relationships, through core groups. That's a group of normally three to five people in which we're pouring into each other. And that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus fed 20,000 people. He can serve 20,000 people. But if they're not open and responsive to what Jesus is doing, then it sort of falls on deaf ears. And this is actually really interesting because it's, this is one of the first, I don't think Jesus thought about it like this, but my, this is where my brain goes, is this is one of the first marketing strategies we see uh, many, many years ago. And so uh, above, uh, up on the screen, you'll see a quote from the founder of Airbnb. There's this thing called Y Combinator, and it, it, basically it's an accelerator for startups. So like Airbnb or Dropbox or plenty of companies that you've used, they help start these things to grow them. And what the founder of Airbnb said, at YC we were challenged to do things that don't scale. To start with a perfect experience for one person, then work backwards and scale to 100 people who love us. This was the best piece of advice we've ever received. And so I think that, that to see that reality in other places, I think is pretty, uh, at least profound for me, that Jesus is, hey, let's get 10 people who really understand what I'm doing. Let me pour into them, and through them, they will disciple other people. And we see that's what happens. And that's, you know, the, the depth of, of pouring into those people gives them way more context of who the Bible is, what the Bible is, who God is, rather than, you know, having a ton of width in, in what we say and what we do and who we're with, but ultimately not being able to invest in those people. So I, I want to move on to Peter's verse now. We've sort of uh, touched on the, the followers, right? 
And now we're going to basically Jesus' response to that, right? And he says, um, so Jesus said to the 12, you don't want to go away too, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And we, we know from, from Adam's message a couple weeks ago that Peter has walked on water with Jesus, right? He's been with him. He's one of the core 12, right? And we can assume here that he's the mouthpiece. And he's really excited, really optimistic. He's like, oh, yeah, of course. What else are we going to do? Like, we saw all these things. How could we turn our back now? And what, um, you know, if you know where this story ends up going, Peter actually ends up denying Jesus three times. And so he talks the talk, but when it comes to actually really having that, that depth of relationship with Jesus, dealing with the suffering and rejection of following Jesus, he really fails in, in that aspect. And, and he's restored at the, at the end of John, but we see that sort of, um, I, I guess, character flaw in Peter, um, who's very much aware of people's perception and, 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 and maybe how he's perceived and his image and what he'll have to go through um, as someone who's following Jesus. The, um, the, the last person that we're going to really explore deeply uh, in the last few minutes is Judas. And so that's the last couple verses. Jesus replied, Didn't I choose you the twelve, and yet one of you is the devil? Now he said this about Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, for Judas, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. And I think reading this, when, when um, Trey gave me uh, a choice of, of which ones to read, I was like, this was the one where I was like, ooh, ah, this is kind of hard. Because you see J Jesus sort of like, I don't want to say daring people to, to go, but basically exposing where their hearts actually postured. And you think he, he's, you know, he already got the, you know, the people who were not really interested, um, they s sort of filter out. And then you also have, um, you know, he, he says to the 12, like, hey, this is your opportunity if, if you don't believe as well. But then he sort of goes a step further and is like, um, okay, well, yeah, you guys are following me, but when he's the devil. Which I imagine like the group chat was like blowing up and they're like, which one is the devil? You know? Um, and um, obviously we, we know it ends up being Judas. And Judas, from, from what we know, is doing all of the right things, right? He's following Jesus on a daily basis. He's maybe performing miracles. He, he, he's part of the 12. Um, but we also see in, in other parts of Scripture that uh, Judas thinks a lot about money. Uh, in John 12, verse 4, um, we see that Mary is anointing the feet of Jesus um, with expensive oil, and it's you know, an act of, of, of service. And uh, Judas says, uh, why wasn't this oil sold for 300 silver coin? And he's already thinking about how he can flip this on Facebook Marketplace. <laughs> He's like, what are you doing using this right now? Like, do you know how much money I can make off this? Like, give me a 10% broker fee. Like, well, do, like, I'll take care of it. Don't worry. We'll keep the money, right, and, and do this. And so we, we see that Jesus, Judas selling Jesus out for money is not too surprising based on the context we have. But I think it speaks to something bigger in that even if Judas is doing all the right things, remember, he's one of the 12. He's seen Jesus do all these miracles, and yet he's holding something back from God. I don't know how that lands for you, but I know in my Christian walk, there have been plenty of times where I've tried to negotiate with Jesus. And I said, you can have this, but, but this one's mine. And I know it, it, it's been different things at different times. It's been finances, 
sex, relationships. It's been a whole bunch of things. And this comes along at different points. And we see really the risk of not giving everything to Jesus is that at a certain point, it starts growing in our heart. And we start blocking out Jesus. And, and really, that's the part where sin enters. And we see what happens is Judas sells out Jesus. And I think that is such a, a really, a, not the selling out Jesus, but overall his heart is a very relatable thing. And I've gone through that many times. And I'll probably go even face that many more times in which I don't want to give up a certain thing because I think it's mine and not God's. So as we sort of recap and, 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 and review the, the, the three personas is what we do in marketing. You know, we do char- character A, B, and C, and here's their demographics and buying habits and all that sort of stuff. So we're going to go on a marketing exercise right now, okay? So um, the, the first is the followers, right? They are the superficial, they have a superficial understanding of Jesus. They are like the fans on Twitter or Facebook. They press that like button, but they're not liking and commenting on the video, right? They're like sort of out there a little bit. And as soon as they hear something that is not, that doesn't meet their expectation, they kind of bounce. And I think now the psychological term would be like confirmation bias, right? And which you only want to hear what you want to hear. And anything that violates that is a risk to your, your, your personal safety, your personal thought, your mindset, all of that. The second is Peter, is we see that Peter walks the walk, he's clearly following Jesus, but when things get hard, is he stops, is he denies Jesus, is he betrays Jesus, he gives, he gives up on Jesus. The third is Judas, and Judas, of course, following like all the other 12 disciples, but he's clearly holding something back from Jesus. And, it, and, and again, I think this can relate to all of us in, in some way, that there is a certain thing that we may hold back at different points because selfishly we want things that we want. And so um, as we go to uh, reflection, uh, Nadia, you can come on up. Um, as, I, as I was studying for this, there was really, I think, four things that populated in my mind, and there may be other things that you're wrestling with, and I know I wrestled with this passage for weeks and months on how it related to me, how it might relate to you. And so we're going to go through the the four reflection questions. Which of the three characters do you relate to most? The the followers, Peter or Jesus? Sorry, (laughs) Judas. How do you handle your I don't know? Do you do research? Do you pray about it? Do you talk about it? Or do you just pretend like it never happened? Do you just say, what I think is right in the Bible is wrong? What cultural or preconceived notions of Jesus are keeping you from him? We all come from different places, different geographies, different churches, different families, different expectations of, of what we think true power is, of what we, who, who we think Jesus is. And I think that impacts really how we see who Jesus really is. And then what would it look like to trust Jesus in a deeper way today? So um, as we enter into a time of formation, um, we do four things here at Contrast. Um, The first being prayer. Um, You can pray by yourself or we have uh, people in the back who will pray for you, um, which is a, a huge, huge blessing. 
Um, we have the, the, the bringing box. We call it bringing because we know that everything that we have is really just God's, and we're just bringing it back to him. And then third, we have the bread in the cup, which, as we always mention, is gluten-free. And then fourth is these reflection questions. So I'll give you some, some time to, to think and pray about all that. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.